To quote one of the greatest philosophers of our time, Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Hello, it's Ted McElroy, and you're listening to the Vision of Leadership podcast. We're dedicated to helping you become the best eye care leader you can be. podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. I am definitely not trying to brag, but I've been involved in recycling and sustainability for many years. It all began when one day I was looking at one of my soon-to-be 22-year-old sons when they were very young. I thought to myself, I don't want one of them coming to me one day and saying, wait a minute, you knew better all along and you didn't do anything about it? Shame on you. One of the things I can control is who I partner with. Sustainability is something that matters to us and to our patients, and Cooper Vision is committed to it. From executives to plant employees, at Cooper Vision, their commitment is to sustainable practices. Check out the show links to see how others are incorporating their commitment to sustainability into their practices. About two weeks ago, actually it was uh, Thursday, March the 12th, I was arriving in Franklin, Tennessee to attend a conference put on by one of the greatest leadership coaches I've ever heard, Michael Hyatt. Uh, Michael Hyatt and Company is a leadership development organization dedicated to helping busy executives and leaders who just are having a hard time controlling their, their lives with time. And I had gotten involved with them about six months earlier. I was there primarily to listen to a uh, talk about productivity rhythms on Friday the 13th of all time. So um, I got to the hotel, hadn't been there very long, and got a text message through the app that we have through Business Accelerator. And it basically said this, um, in light of the things that are changing right now, I feel really uncomfortable about talking to you about productivity rhythms. So tomorrow we're changing the entire day on the fly to leadership in times of turbulence. I, I was able to ask Michael and his team if they would mind if I shared some of the highlights of that meeting because I think it's really important right now more than ever that we have an opportunity to, to talk about leading in times of crisis. And this is one of those times. It, it's something that we all go through in our lives. And were it not for having this topic being brought out by Michael, I don't think I would think of things quite as clearly when I return to work on Monday the 16th um, to, to get ready to get started with everybody. So today I'm going to spend some time talking with you what I learned and um, going through the process that I learned. But I do want to give credit to Michael Hyatt and his program. Again, it's called the, the, the uh, Business Accelerator Program. He's got a lot of other tools you can do that are more um, onesie twosie type kind of things. He's also written many books, including a book he's got coming out on March the 31st called The Vision Driven Leader. I've had a chance to read the advanced copy. It is fabulous, and I've, I'm sure he's made a few edits since then, but I would definitely want you to give a chance to give a listen. And he also has a podcast that he and his daughter, um, Megan Hyatt Miller, do as well. And it's spoken to me on a number of occasions when I've really tried to look and see where my next direction is going to be, uh, having someone like that to speak into you. So you get a chance to listen to that. His podcast is called Lead to Win, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, even if you were like me, and maybe still even believe that uh, the COVID-19 is just a bad case of the flu, what you can't deny is what it's doing to our economy right now. Um, it is truly gripping people in ways they never thought would ever happen, including me. Uh, we decided 
after a lot of angst and consternation to go ahead and close the offices to regular eye care, routine eye care, whatever you want to call it. I call it comprehensive eye care and um, only be available for emergencies. So this week, starting yesterday, Monday, we weren't having guests come in anymore. And it was just us in the office taking care of things that needed to get done. Uh, but through what we've gone through even in this past week, we've made some changes and it's all because of what's going on right now. Uh, Michael started off talking and actually used that same quote that I did at the very beginning of the podcast with Mike Tyson about uh, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face and it stood out to me. But I want to talk about a story that's told in Jim Collins' book, um, Good to Great. And Michael talked about this to get started. He talks about the story of Admiral James Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was one of many who had been captured during the Vietnam War, quite early actually, and was held captive for eight years in the Hanoi Hilton, which was basically a nickname they had given the camp that they were all put into and tortured quite frequently. As a matter of fact, over the eight years that Admiral Stockdale was there, he was tortured over 20 times, and um, he saw a lot of people come and go, and um, by that, I mean, he saw a lot of people die. He was also the same one who came up with the protocol of how much you could give away when you were being tortured because it's just impossible to put up with that much torture and not give something away. So in his discussion with a reporter one day, he was talking about um, his life there for eight years at Hanoi Hilton. And he said, I never, ever thought that I wasn't going to get through this. I never, never, it never crossed my mind that I wasn't going to get through this. I knew it was going to be terrible. And the reporter says, well, okay, well, who were the ones that didn't get through it? And he goes, oh, that's easy. It was the, the optimists. And the reporter was kind of confused. He said, what do you mean? You mean the optimists? I mean, you were just telling me that you never thought that you weren't going to get out of this. He said, no, no, let me make something very clear to you. I never thought I wasn't going to get out of this, but I knew it was going to be the most difficult thing I was ever going to go through. The fact that I had to face the brutal facts of my day-to-day life and go forward from there, but knowing that I was going to get out, that's what got me through that. But the optimists, they were the ones that said, oh, by Christmas, we'll be out of here. And Christmas would come and go. Oh, wait, by, by 4th of July, we'll be out of here. 4th of July would come and go. By Thanksgiving, we'll be out of here. And Thanksgiving would come and go. And then Christmas was coming back. And they all died of a broken heart. They gave up. They, they just couldn't make it anymore. Well, the one thing Michael pointed out to us after he um, looked into all of this story, he said, basically, you know, you've all gone through hard times. In fact, think of the hardest thing you've ever gone through. And for me, it was uh, in October of 2001. The previous year, I had been asked by a large multi-specialty group to move into their building as a tenant, and that way they'd be able to offer eye care to their patients without actually having to have eye care under their umbrella. And this multi-specialty group, I mean, it had everything. It had internal medicine, cardiology, respiratory therapy. It had uh, gastroenterology. Uh, I don't believe it had an endocrinologist, but we had, oh, we had a neurologist. So it was about 20-some-odd doctors that were in the practice that were all partners or associates in that group. I was the only one that was actually renting space that had nothing actually to do with the group. I was just renting some space in this sequestered place on the third floor that you'd had to walk upstairs or take an elevator to get to. Uh, everybody else had pretty easy access to their practices. One day in October, the uh, practice administrator, I think he actually was the COO, came to me and said, you have one month to get out. We've looked at your lease, and um, we're going to exercise our ability to have you removed from the building in one month. Um, it's nothing personal. We just have decided we're going to move on with an ophthalmologist to bring in, and we don't think that the two of you would be able to work well together. I was very concerned at that point. Um, I went to my team and canceled my day, and I went home. Uh, I was very upset. I went to my bedroom, 
walked through my bedroom into our bathroom. I sat on the edge of the tub, and for the next two hours, I cried, and I prayed, and I cried some more, and I prayed some more, and I cried some more. And my wife, who at the time was a stay-at-home mom, she came in there and she cried and prayed with me too. After about two hours, I finally came to kind of my senses, and I thought, well, i gotta, I got to move on with this. I can't sit here all day and just wallow in my tears. And So what do I do? And the first thing I did was I called my attorney who had been my attorney for many years. It was not just my attorney, he was my friend uh, in the small town. It's very easy to have relationships with a lot of people. He went to church with me. Um, there was just so many different ties that we had. And I called him and I told Lynn what was going on. And he said, um, let me pull your lease. And he pulled it and he looked at it and he goes, yeah, there's not really a whole lot you can do. They've, they've got a loophole there. And he said, well, don't lose hope. I, I think we can figure something out. So. He, I hung up the phone and I started thinking, what am I going to do next? Um, you know, I'm just don't know what to do. I'm making a plan. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do next. At that time, the real estate market in Tifton was very tight. There was not a whole lot of places to go. Uh, also, we were on the verge of going into another recession. At that point in 2002, we hit a pretty decent snag. Not a big one, but it was a little bit of a recession. So things were starting to fizzle out on that part. And... Um, Lynn got working and calling some people that he knew. Well, the next day, just like out of the blue, uh, I got a phone call from somebody uh, that was a realtor. And he had no idea I was looking for property. And he said, hey, I was just trying to call around to some people I knew here in town, and I was wondering if you, you know, I know you're renting some space because you told me this, but are you ever considering looking at buying property or your own? And I thought, well, um, yeah, actually kind of, but I, I don't know where I'd go. And he goes, well, we got some things we can really look at that might work out. Let's, let's uh, get together and talk soon. And then two days later, I got a phone call from a banker uh, who's saying, we've got some really great rates on some loans right now. And I didn't know if you were considering ever doing any kind of equipment loans or anything like that. And I go, well, as a matter of fact, I've got a loan that we're going to possibly do for a, for a piece of property. And he goes, great. Well, when it gets to that point, just call me and let me know. And amazingly, things just started sort of happening. And um, it, I mean, I know for me, and I don't know what your beliefs and faith are, I, I know that it was God that was working this out for us, um, you know, because I'm, that's my, and if that's your faith, that's great. I'm not trying to teach this to you or anything at this point. But what I did have was the fact that I sort of felt like things were, were going to get, were going to be okay, but it was going to be really hard. It was going to be tough. And I realized that I had really a couple resources. First, as I just mentioned, I had God. I had my family, um, you know, and those two were going to help me. The other thing I had was being in this small town for all these years and doing the things that I had done right for our profession and for the community, I had built up some trust, and people would approach me for things. And that's sort of what's happening with this banker and this real estate agent. They were coming to me saying, I have these opportunities. Do you want to take advantage of them? And uh, on top of that, I had friends. Um, the builder, the builder for my practice, his name was John. And we, were gonna, we wanted to use him, but I also knew that he was working on a really big project right across the street from the property that I finally purchased, which I'll get to in a moment. And it was actually working on a hospital, a very large project construction project took most in fact all of his team to do it and when I approached him about building I said um, I know you're working on this project because you told me about it and I know you've got all your team working on it so I, I don't know what you can do to help but you know is there anybody you know that might be able to help me build this I would love to have you but I understand he goes hey Ted don't worry about it uh, I'll be able to pull some people off this job and we'll get it taken care of and we'll get you taken care of it'll it'll be no problem so he pulled people off of that work project to come over here and work on my building to get it done and we were in the building in about four months faster than I had expected it to be the land that I bought um, I bought it for pennies on the dollar because as I said the recession was starting to cook up there was a cardiologist here in town that was basically having a fire sale and the land kind of just dropped in my lap I was the highest bidder for a piece of property that I got about 50% off. Michael pointed out 
with these tragic things that had happened to us, and he had a story or two he told, was that so far up to now in our life, and this is something I can say to you very, very candidly, and I know this is true, you have successfully gotten through 100% of the most difficult days you've ever had in your life. And that's true. You've gotten through those. That should give you some confidence because you have gotten through some very difficult times. Maybe it was illnesses or loss of a family member. Maybe it was um, a divorce. Maybe it was loss of your business. And you've come back from those things. You've survived. What we all tend to do, though, is we get into this echo chamber of this creating hype cycle and hear these stories that are happening around us, much like what we've got going on right now with this virus and with the loss of our businesses and everybody people are telling us oh you got to go get a small business loan or you need to lay off your employees or you need to do this or do that and snap judgment start taking control of us and what happens is fear is contagious and causes us to overreact and we don't go to the trusted sources that we know are in our lives whether these are mentors from our friends or maybe somebody like Michael Hyatt, like I've mentioned, who is a coach, or maybe uh, a study group that you may have, and you don't take the opportunity to sit down and discuss this before making this big, huge decision. And then there's confirmation bias. We start looking to sources of information that are just going to support what we believe instead of those that are going to challenge our beliefs and make us think things a little differently. And that's kind of a shame because I can promise you, even up to this point, we've had changes that have occurred just because of going through this crisis. And this is only happening for a little over a week. And things are already starting to change and making us decide that we need to do business differently. There's something else that's also contagious, and that's hope. Hope is really contagious just as much as fear is. The point of this is, if you go to your team as a leader and you're feeding them fear, it will grow. If you're feeding them hope, and I'm not talking about this Pollyanna, everything's going to be fine kind of stuff. I mean, telling them, look, it's, this is going to be hard, but we're going to get through this. We're going to make it. This is, this is something we can do. I promise you, you will get to the other side of it and be realistic about it, but you will survive this too. You've survived much more than this. Another thing I heard a couple of days ago, and I'm not trying to cloud anything into a, a better light, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. Motley Fool podcast is one of my favorites, and I was listening to one of the guys on there who's kind of a closet economist, and he pulled up a lot of data, and the data he talked about was looking at catastrophes that have happened to our economy, whether it was one thing or another, and he found that those that were event-based, like an illness or uh, some sort of natural disaster that occurred or something that um, caused challenges to the economy but wasn't systemic to the economy, like the bank crisis or having uh, these um, credit default swaps that they had many years ago that really sent our, our economy into the tank those we recovered from significantly faster, typically 15 to 18 months versus years like you would see in these systemic type kind of things. So keep that in mind when you're looking at where you are today and don't make snap judgments. Find these things out. Get trusted advice from people who really uh, are going to lead you in the right direction. Also, another thing that's really important right now is vision. Vision is more important now than anything else. There's a Bible verse that I, I really appreciate uh, from Proverbs 29, 18 that says, where, the, where there is no vision, the people perish. You've got to give a picture of a better day that will come. It's not always going to be like this. It's going to be different one day, and we're going to get through all this stuff. So remember that you can get through this. Another thing that's important right now is coaching is really crucial not just for your team, and you need to be their coach. You need, And I'm not talking about being a cheerleader and telling them, oh, everything's going to be great. I'm talking about helping them make the right decisions and moving them in a direction that can help them to be better people, better employees, and better leaders on their own. And they should be coaching you as well. And if you're not 
accepting some of this coaching, then it could be tough for you. Another thing to keep in mind is, though, that it's hard to see the big picture when you're on the field. That's why coaches are important. They can see what's going on around the plays that are taking place. The people in the stands, they don't understand what's going on. They just know there's a game being played and they're being entertained. But the coach, the coach understands that the direction that we're trying to go is this. And this play that we're running right now sets up the next play that gets us to the next play that gets us to the goal line that helps us to win. Those are the things that are important. And those coaches are the people who will tell us very vividly, if we need to hear it, that it's not good enough. You know, that we've got to do better. They do it because they care about us. They don't do it because they're trying to be hard. Action is required right now. And I, I know I said earlier, don't make snap judgments. And I really do mean that. But what you need to do is you need to get your advice, figure out what your plan is, and move in that direction. General George Patton once said, a good plan violently executed now is much better than a perfect plan next week. Another line that I heard one time was a story being told. Uh, there was an interview of Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live. He was the executive director and producer for many years for Saturday Night Live. And one of the uh, interviewers was asking once, he said, Lorne, how do you know that the show is ready to go on? And Lorne looked at him and said, um, we don't put the show on because it's ready to go on. We put the show on because it's 1130 on Saturday night. Sometime you're gonna to have to do. You're gonna to have to move forward. You're gonna to have to make those changes, and make that start, and not wait for things to happen. I'm really guilty of of waiting for things to happen or overanalyzing. It's it's actually part of my DNA, unfortunately, that I'm an an analyzer. I have to look at things enough to see. I'm, I'm holding a piece of paper right now called a Colby Index, a Colby A Index, and it says that I'm a fact finder. And those of you who know me, you're all nodding your heads right now because you know that's my picture. That's what I really look like. Right now, also, resilience is your friend. Jim Collins, in his book, How the Mighty Fall, ends the book with probably one of the best lines I think I've ever heard of on on success. He says, failure is not as much a physical state as a state of mind. Success is falling down and getting up one more time without end. Think about the times that you have watched people be just uber successful. Part of what they did was the fact that they just kept on going. They moved in the direction that they had planned. And sometimes they might have gotten to this point and realized that's not exactly the right direction, but I'm still trying to get here. So I've got to make sure I'm going in that direction. And that's kind of what your vision is. Your vision is your destination. Your strategy is kind of like the roadmap of that destination. And if you're, if I decide I'm going to leave Tifton today and drive to Columbus, I'm going to pull out my ways, and I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to start driving toward Columbus, heading out US 82 West. Well, if I come across a, like a horrific accident or a bridge that's out or some kind of massive road construction and the road's completely stopped, I'm not going to go, well, I guess this is as far as I get to go. Or worse yet, I'm just going to turn around and go back and not go. No, I'm going to figure a way to go around that hurdle. And that's the same kind of thing that you need to do with resilience. You can't just let it beat you. This thing that we're going through right now, we can't just let it beat us. But we do need to do some things that are important to, to really take care of our team, to make sure that we are giving them the support that they need. One of my dearest friends, Jerry Perhall, once told me, he said, you know, every time you look out your back window from your office and you see all those cars, you need to think to yourself, you know what? I got a lot of car payments I have to make. You're responsible for these people. They count on you to take care of them and to make the right decisions for them. So make sure that you're looking at these decisions in a way that will best honor them. 
one of the things also that we need to be doing right now is affirming ourselves. And I'm not talking about the Stuart Smalley version of saying, I'm good, I'm great, and doggone it, people like me. No, I'm talking about saying things that people need to hear themselves say about themselves. This self-talk that tends to happen when things are going rough, we, we tend to get really down on ourselves. And we need to remind ourselves again that today is is what it is like now, and this is the hard part, but there's going to be a day when it's not going to be like this anymore. And I'm here for a purpose. I've been preparing for this point in time my entire life. God has placed me in this point right now for this very purpose, for this very thing. And you need to have purpose. And you're going to end up somewhere. So why don't you end up there on purpose? And when you end up there on purpose, make sure you end up there with a purpose. That's what's really going to get you there. And if you go somewhere on purpose, with a purpose, you will find that life is significantly more satisfying. Part of that purpose could be taking care of your guests. It could be taking care of the people who work with you. It could be making sure your family is taken care of. It could just be giving you a better sense of quality of your life. But whatever that purpose is, find it and work for it. Michael's daughter, Megan Hyatt Miller, also brought some information to our meeting. And she talked about the state of the health of the organization begins with the leader. If your business is over leveraged, if you've got team members who are not pulling their weight, if you've got um, issues with your accounts receivable, if you have other challenges in your practice, it really comes back to the leadership. One of the lessons I've learned with Michael over the last six months is what in this problem that I'm facing right now was caused by my leadership. Now, I had nothing to do with this virus. I had nothing to do with the fact that I was told that I was going to have to close my practice, which I reluctantly did, and I'm sorry to say that I did it reluctantly. But I did have a lot to do with how I prepared for it without knowing I was preparing for it. I listened to people like Mick Kling, who told me the best thing to do is to make sure I'm setting myself up for success by having a rainy day fund that could prepare us for disasters. And here we are. Um, the fact is, you may say to yourself, I've been a bad leader, and maybe that's the case, but that can change today. You can come in tomorrow and become a good leader. You can come in tomorrow and start showing your team that you care. Once I was talking, and many of you may have heard the interview I did with Andrea Knuff a couple of weeks ago, and I quoted, and she quoted her husband Larry, which I'm going to have on the podcast sometime soon, uh, who is a salesperson. He goes into a lot of different offices. At one time he was calling on optometry. Now he does rare disease for a company. And he said to me and a couple of other people talking around, we'd ask him the question, hey, how do you know you're in a great practice? And he said, well, it's kind of pretty easy to see. Those practices that are doing really well, kind of like all of you guys, you are actively engaging your team. You're bringing them into the decision-making process. You are coaching them and really trying to develop them and make them into a team that anybody would love to have. But the teams that aren't doing so well, the practices that I know they're in trouble, those are the ones that are actively trying to avoid their teams. They don't get involved in the lives of their teams. They don't do anything to help develop them. Some of them are even saying things like, well, you know, if I, if I help them to get better, they're just going to get hired away from somebody else. That brings a great point. Which would you rather have? An uh, employee who's really awesome, does a great job, and you get to work with that person for two, three, five, ten years, or somebody who really doesn't do that great of a job, you never put anything into them, and they just stay. You've got to make sure that you're developing this team and helping them to grow. The next thing you need to deal with are the areas that you can control, 
influence and that you're concerned about. And these are some things that Stephen Covey talks about in his books, but something that Megan brought out to us. The first thing is what you can control. It's you. That's basically what you can control. The next thing is influence. You have influence of your family, your team at work, your committee of the service group, the service group that you're in, or the civic club, or your church, your friends you have influence over. This sort of more goes to your leadership and how you're connected to people and the outcomes that you have. You kind of influence, but you really don't have any control over the outcomes that occur. Think about your patients and how many times you told them, hey, you really got to use this drop for your glaucoma. And they just don't do it. Maybe it's because they don't have a why. Maybe you haven't explained to them that they need to have this drop in order that five, ten years down the road they can still see their grandchildren. So influence is really important. But it's very difficult to control people. The last area or circle of, of the control, influence, and concern is concern. And you have very little control here and very even little influence. This is everything outside of your friends, your family, all that kind of stuff. You have very little control and it causes probably the most anxiety that we have. It causes us to really focus a lot. It's, it's very attention grabbing. And this is where the news really gets to us. And I'm going to make sure that I talk about what we're going to deal with that in just a moment. So let's get right back and talk about the things that we can control. Uh, there's four areas that you can control of you. The first is your head. You need to be clear, proactive, confident, and wise. You need to be aware of your thoughts and how they affect you. And this goes back to the affirmations I was talking about earlier. You know, one of the affirmations I always like to say, and I said this to my kids when they were growing up because I truly believe this, I'd say to them, you know, there's something special about you. God's got big plans for you. And, and I believe that. I, I know there's something special about me. I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here because I've been placed here at this time for this purpose. Be careful the thoughts that are going in your head because thoughts become reality. And you want that reality to be a positive reality, not catastrophizing and, you know, saying, oh, woe is me and the sky is falling. I'm talking about really... Again, being realistic about things are going to be hard, but I'm going to get through this. Things are going to be hard, but you're going to get through this. And being that positive influence, but it's got to start with you. It's got to start in your head. So make sure that you're putting the right things in your head. Read old books. Um, biographies are great. Biographies of great people about our presidents, about, um, uh, about the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, I know it's not a person, but there's a great story about the Brooklyn Bridge that David McCullough wrote and the people that put that bridge together and what it did to connect New York City and transform that community. Um, things don't really change much over time if you really look at these old books. That's why the Bible has so much great lessons. The stories in there that are told, the life lessons that it brings out are amazing regardless of the fact of what your beliefs are. And again, affirm yourself. Make sure that you realize that you're here for a purpose. I also want to make sure that you refrain from having any kind of biases. We talked earlier about confirmation bias. I only go into places that have information that, that really go along with what you truly believe. But also be very careful about the news that you put into your head. Journalism is not here for information. I mean, there's a piece of information in it, but it's really there to create outrage and fear because it's hard to turn away from that. The most important thing to journalism is that you click on that link and read that article. And the more clicks they get and the more you can read that article or the more you can watch their video that's on social media, the better. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like when Y2K happened, for those of you that are old enough to remember that, if social media had been around, how that would have affected us? That would have been just devastating to us. One of the things that helps a lot, too, with your mind, with your, your head, your mind, is having a ritual. That's one of the best things that I've learned from Michael Hyatt uh, is a ritual. One of the first things that you get when you go into their business accelerator program, and you can do this without it, is something called a full focus planner. I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's a bound book with paper in it. And each day, there is a big three that I have to do that, I'm, that I've set that I'm going to do 
one of those today is my podcast. So I'm going to check that off right now and cross it out. Also went through and looked at our budget today to make sure that we're going to be able to pay our employees. And I've got my entire day planned out here from my morning ritual to my workday startup ritual to my workday shutdown ritual, which I did before I started this podcast. And then I'll do my evening ritual. And the nice thing about this is I know exactly from the moment that I get up to the time that I go to bed what I'm doing. And this may sound, oh my gosh, this is too regimented. This is, there's no freedom in this. The irony is this builds more freedom than you can ever imagine because it lets you plan what's most important to you today. It lets you do the things that need to really get taken care of. And that ritual, for me, my ritual is this. I'm going to flip so I make sure I don't miss anything on this. My morning ritual is, first thing I do is that my daily devotional and I prep for exercise. It takes about 30 minutes. Then I go work out. That's an hour to an hour and a half. Then I feed the dogs, take them outside. That takes 10 minutes. Then I shower, get dressed, help my wife make the bed. And that takes about 40 minutes for all that. I make my breakfast and I clean up. That takes 20 minutes. I um, get my water and my work stuff together. And then I go to my journal and I write down some things that are learned today from both my devotional and some other things that I've noticed over the past 24 hours that I write in there. And last, I drive to work. That takes about 160 to 210 minutes every day. And I've got that planned out. And then when I get to work, I've got about 36 minutes of time that I've got planned. And at the end of the day, I've got 45 to 55 minutes planned. Now, today it's going to be a little bit different because I'm doing the podcast. So I'm going to be late for late getting home. So I'm going to make sure that I let my wife know that I'm doing my podcast and I'm going to be a little bit late getting home so she won't be angry with me because I'm supposed to be home by 6 o'clock and it's coming up on 6.57 right now, so I'm not going to make it. But this ritual keeps me on track. It makes sure I prioritize the things that are most important to me right now. And by doing this, I'm able to do all the things that I need to do. But more importantly than need to do, it's the stuff that I want to do because I've scheduled it. I've planned it. I've got it in there. You know, you can't let life just happen to you. You've got to make sure that you control how your life is going to be. The next thing you need to control is your mouth. You need to be very careful about what's coming out of it. I said earlier, fear is contagious. It's a virus. So is hope. It's a virus too. You get to decide which of the viruses you get to, or excuse me, the vira, for those of you who are listening, um, the vira you're going to spread. And if you use alarmist language, guess what you're going to get back? You're going to get alarm. You're going to get worry. You're going to get fear. So stay away from these kind of things. It's stuff like uh, you see on the news, the market crashed today. Well, that would tell you that the market went down to zero when actually it went down a couple hundred points or maybe a thousand or maybe 2,000 like it did a couple days ago. I mean... I'm going to advise you something. Don't look at your stock portfolios anytime for the next couple of few weeks unless you're planning on buying something. And now is probably a really good time to buy a lot of really great companies. But don't watch the drops. It'll come back. It will come back. It always does. In fact, the market always falls and always goes up. It falls fast. It goes up slower. But it always goes up more than it goes down. And if you don't believe me, go and look at, a, at a, uh, a graph of the stock market. You'll see that it goes up and to the right. Stay away from those metaphors like crashes or disaster or things like that when you're giving out news. And also make sure that you give news early and often to your team. Don't let them fill in the blank because I promise you the blank that they're filling in is a lot worse than whatever you're going to tell them. Uh, had it happen to me today. My son called me up and said, hey, uh, have you got a minute to talk? I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to connect mom too. And I thought, oh, this is going to be not so good. Well, actually, what he was calling to tell me was that he had been accepted in optometry school. I couldn't be more excited about it. I mean, this was, this was great news, but, it, I mean, he didn't tell me what I was supposed to be expecting, so I was just filling in the blank with all sorts of horrible things. That's what we do. We always tend to go to the negative. So make sure you get that information out to your team early. If they are concerned, 
because if something's happening, I promise you, they're thinking, oh, we got layoffs coming or we got there's not going to be any money. The place is going to go bankrupt. I'm not going to have a job next week. Keep them informed and let them know what's going on as soon as you possibly can. That'll help you out a lot. And again, spread the virus of hope. Leadership is a responsibility. It's not a privilege. And you're accountable to these people. Make sure you're spreading the right words of encouragement because that's very powerful. The next thing you have, you've got your head, you've got your mouth, the next is your heart. You need to give voice to this better future. Use this vision of destination, where you're going to go. When you look at a road map, it's not a straight line. There's a whole bunch of curves in the road. When you're going to go from point A to point B in a plan, it's probably going to go down for a little bit before it goes up again. Every time you try something new, there's always this learning curve you got to get over. Make sure you're using the picture of a world that you wish it to be. You're wanting to paint that picture of where you're going, not where you are right now. And realize, you know, that life's tough sometimes. But you're going to get through this. You will. The next thing you need to do is to work on your body. And this is probably the thing that gets the least amount of attention, especially in times of trouble, because we all tend to treat ourselves last. You need to move, you need to eat right, and you need to get enough sleep. Because if you're not moving, you're not circulating the blood it helps you think clearer on the days that i don't do a workout my team knows when i get here that i haven't done a workout i'm a little bit foggy i'm sometimes a little more cranky i, I tend to not be nearly as good a mood and things just tend to go wrong part of it's because i just don't have my schedule going right eating the right foods is important too because if you're putting junk into your engine your car's not going to run very well so make sure you're putting in the right fuel but most importantly is sleep. And this is something that I ignored for many years. Not doing a good job is taking care of sleep. Make sure you're setting aside time to sleep and get good sleep. And if you're not sleeping well, find out why. I did a sleep study recently. Yep, I got old. I got a CPAP now. Um, and it's been the most amazing thing that's ever happened. I mean, I am having the most vivid technicolor dreams that you've ever had and I remember almost every single one of them. And that's happened from the day I put that thing on my face and started trying with it, which tells me that I've been sleeping terribly for all these years because I've been waking up before I even get to my dreams. You need to, again, create the plan that puts this all into place. And when you're putting these plans in place, use specific language for each area. Things like, I'm going to start walking a mile a day every day of the week, and once a week I'm going to add a block for the next 10 weeks for your body. Or I'm going to make sure I'm not going, or excuse me, not, let's not use negative language. I'm going to stay away from sweets every day of the week except for Saturday and Friday. Something along those kind of lines. This is game day, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we've been preparing for for our entire life. And in fact, bigger than game day, this is the Super Bowl. If, if this is the first big crisis you've ever gone through in your business, I got news for you. There's more to come. But this is the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl happens every year. Somebody's in that game. This year, it's you. It's time to show up and give your best version of yourself. And you can't do that if you're not taking care of your mind and what goes into it, making sure the words that come out of it are right to your team, making sure you're putting the vision of where you're going in the right direction, and you're making sure that your body is being taken care of. It just makes it so much easier to do that. The next thing you got to do is you're going to have to deal with your risks. And that's identifying what the risks are. The one thing you need to do is do a risk assessment. You need to look at your vulnerabilities. These could be, first of all, internally. Maybe it's your team. You need to find out what those vulnerabilities are. You need to find out what the vulnerabilities are in your operations, in your products, your sales, your marketing, your financials, and also look externally. What kind of risk do you have with your vendors? What kind of risk do you have with your customers? Right now, I don't have any customers. I don't have any patients. So we created something to fix that. Maybe it's the environment. I didn't have any cho choice over the fact that I was going to have to shelter in home. 
that I can't go to a restaurant and sit in a dining room and listen to other people and have a great meal. That's out of my hands right now. After you've looked at your risks and your vulnerabilities, you've got to figure out what your weighted response is to each of those problems. Let's, let's take a moment uh, and talk about the vulnerability we have right now with our, with our patients. Again, I don't have any patients coming in. So the, the first thing was a, a light response to my vulnerability. Maybe it's something that I need to deal with, but it's not as a big, big problem. So when we first started realizing we have a problem, we started calling our patients and saying to those that were 60 and older, we don't think it's a good idea for you to come in. If you choose to do so, we'll still see you. But these are the protocols we're going to have in place for you. We're going to take your temperature when we get here. We are going to put some hand sanitizer on you with Pure and Clean. We are going to make sure that we keep you separated by, if you get here early, we're going to ask you to stay in your car. When it's time, we'll call you in and take you back and get you uh, ready to go for the appointments you have with the doctor and move you forward and make sure there's not a whole lot of contact with a lot of people because we don't want you getting sick. But we try to convince people not to come in. And that changed next into, well, um, now things are a little bit more drastic. We've been told we need to not do routine eye care, so we've stopped that. We are now available for uh, emergencies only. That's it. That's the only thing I'm here for. And because of that, we've come up with some processes to fix that and work that a little bit better. The, the extreme measure, the heavy measure, the nuclear option, that's where you know, they're in lockdown. We can't, we can't come, you know, and I've got to do something. So the last part you do is look at what your opportunities are. You've, you've figured out what your risks are. you figured out how to weighted response those. And now what are the opportunities? Like I said earlier, we got cut off from our patient flow. So first thing we did, we sent an email out to all of our guests telling them that we don't know how long this is going to last. And if you have contact lenses, you might be running out soon. So we're going to extend your expiration date a little bit and get you a supply of contact lenses. So you can have those. Yesterday, the phone rang off the hook. And it did today again. Because we looked at an opportunity to try and do something different. We also got involved with telemedicine. I, I sat in on a podcast, or excuse me, a, a virtual meeting last night with uh, my co-host. Well, actually, I'm his co-host, Chris Wolf, And with Michael uh, Rothschild. And they talked about telemedicine. And they made it seem possible to do. And guess what? I did my very first telemedicine today. I did my very first telemedicine visit today. The patient was at home. I got them to use their phone and we did this visit and it was great. It was worked out wonderfully. How many of our profession have been downplaying telemedicine? Think about that for a minute. How many people have been downplaying? And now Mike Rothschild is the most popular person on the planet. People are sought, seeking after him to come in and talk about telemedicine and how wonderful it is. Never waste a great crisis. I don't mean to be crass when I say that, but crisis causes change. It always does. So make sure you've got a chance to take advantage of this time to retool, to redo the things that need to be taken care of. I want to take one last thing I want to talk about. And that's going to the experts for your information. And I just mentioned Mike Rothschild is the expert right now. Uh, excuse me, I didn't use his title. My dear friend and idol, Mike Rothschild, a great American, is the expert right now on telemedicine and optometry. He, he knows how it's done. And I can't think of a better person to have in my life as a friend. And he's probably one of the bravest people I ever knew because he did this when nobody else thought this was a good idea because he could see it happening. He got ahead of it. But you need to go to the experts because they have their knowledge in order. They've figured out where the pain points are. They are going to give you the right direction to move forward with. They have strategies that have gotten from where they were to where they are now. And it's going to be worth the investment to learn from them. And the investment may just be a lot of time, but it also may be a lot of money. And if you're going to the experts to get your advice from, and it costs you, I promise you, if you put into place what they teach you, you'll get way more back than you ever invested in it. 
I'll give you a good example. This thing I'm doing with Michael Hyatt again. I, I, I've talked about it. I want to give him as much credit as I can today because this information was straight out of his mouth. The investment that I made was not inexpensive at all. And we have 40 people in our group that are going to do this. These are successful people. I know that because I know how much it costs to go and do this thing. But it's a great investment. I'm getting so much out of this program that I am, I mean, my team is telling me how much different I am over the last six months. The fact that I came out of Nashville on uh, Saturday the 14th with a plan of how to go from here to there with this crisis that we were about to go into was worth every dime that I've paid Michael to do this. And the leadership lessons I've got and the support tools that I get. And those are the things that you get when you go to people who are experts in the area. They've got all their thoughts and it will pay off big time. I'm going to have in the links of the show some connections to Michael Hyatt and Michael Hyatt and company. And it will link you into some of his paid services that go with you if you choose to go that way. And I would highly recommend him as a, as a leadership uh, mentor, if you will. Um, also see the links for other some resources. We'll uh, try to get as many of the quotes as we can from Jim Collins in there for you. Um, but like always, I want to make sure you understand things are not going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. Things are going to get better. Things are going to improve. And, and yeah, there's going to be some hard times that are going to come too, and maybe even worse than what we're going through right now. But you'll survive it. You've survived everything you've gone through up to this point in your life. I can't say that enough. Because you need to understand that. There is something really special about you. God's got big plans for you. He's got big plans for me. You've got more resources than you can ever imagine if you just sit there for a moment and think about what those resources are. Just like I talked about when I found out I was getting kicked out of that building. The resources just came. And if you sit there long enough, you'll see them too. Take time. Look at where you're going in your life. I'll see you very soon. Thank you.